Good morning, church. Great to see you this morning. Those online, great to see you as well. Hey, let me take a quick survey. Quick survey. What color is my shirt? Is it orange? I think I need to go see an eye doctor. I I, I thought this was red, but uh, anyway... um, all of you cannot be wrong, so it must be orange. But anyway, I'm glad you're here this morning. Turn to a neighbor and say, I'm excited you're here today. Do that, would you? I'm excited. I'm excited you're here today. Oh, if you have your Bibles with you, would you take them and turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 4. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. We're going to take a little different look at it today as we continue summer road trip, summer road trip. Tammy and I, when we're driving back and forth, we, we kind of plan our, uh, our trips in such a way that we, we hit the rest stops and the gas stations at the right time, if you know what I mean. And, and when we're going down to Indiana, it's about four, four hours and 20 minutes. If Tammy's driving, it's four hours. If I'm driving, it's four hours and 20, four hours and 25 minutes. And uh, she knows it. She drives a little quicker than I do. But anyway, as we're going down there, we always try to hit certain either rest stops or gas stations. We kind of know where that's at. My truck is not this way. Tammy's truck is, or Tammy's car is, is that as you're driving, and I don't know what it is, because it doesn't do it at the same time every time, but everyone's, it'll just simply say, driver attention low. <laughs> Which I never noticed, because I'm not paying attention, but, but as I'm looking at it, and then every, and I, it's, it's a little weird, like it knows me or something, but it will then, uh, it'll say, it'll pop up a cup of coffee and it'll say is it time for a rest stop and I'm like man I kind of I wasn't before but it is now you know and so but uh, when we go into rest stops our thing is it's all about man boom boom we're we're in we're out Uh, we used to time it with the kids especially boom we're in we're out and if we can keep our stop at wherever it is we're stopping at 10 minutes or less this is me, staying right on target, we're staying on time, and uh, that's our typical rest stop. We never think about connecting with people at the rest stop. We don't, we don't really think about talking with them. This passage hit me in a very different way about a month, month and a half ago or so, and it's Jesus as he's on his way to Galilee through Samaria. It's an incredible interaction that he has with the Samaritan woman. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. Jesus is now in the Jerusalem area, that area of the country of, of, uh, of uh, Israel that's more toward the southern part of the, of the country. Galilee is the northern part of the country. And because Jesus was gaining popularity, he was baptizing a lot of people, he came on the radar of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And once you come on the radar of the Pharisees and Sadducees, he needed to get out of the area, not because he was afraid, but because they were going to press him to identify who he was before the time came. And so he decided to leave this area. And it says in chapter 4, verse, uh, chapter four, verse 4, it says, Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a, a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It was about noon. And I I never thought about that before. 
Whenever I preach this passage, and I've preached this passage before, whenever I preach this passage, it says he had to go through Samaria. I always say the reason he had to go through Samaria is not because he had to go through Samaria, but because he was on a spiritual journey where he knew he was going to have an encounter with the woman at the well. He had to go there because he was on purpose. It never struck me Maybe he went through Samaria because he just wanted a shortcut. Jesus was tired. Do you ever think about the Son of Man becoming tired? Do you ever think about Jesus getting tired? If you go from Jerusalem to Galilee straight as the crow flies, it's about 40 miles. It's about a two-day hard journey 20 uh, 20 or 20 miles a day you're going up and down and such you could make it in about two days if you went right straight through samaria if you went around samaria either way to the east or to the west which is the normal way that most jews would have traveled it takes about three to three and a half days i mean it's a much bigger jaunt in fact look at the rest of this encounter as you see it it says jesus tired from the journey (laughs) sat down by the well it was about the sixth hour when a samaritan woman came to draw water he said to her will you give me a drink his disciples had gone into town to buy food the samaritan woman said to him you're a jew and i'm a samaritan woman how can you ask me for a drink for jews do not associate with samaritans jesus answered her if you knew the gift of god and who it was that asks you for a drink You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I can give will never thirst Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here, here, circle here, here to draw water. He told her, go back to your husband and call him back. The NIV does not have this Greek word. Many don't, but actually the word is in there. Here. That word here appears twice in this passage. I think it's important. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, you're right when you say that you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the man that you're now with is not your husband. So what you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman. Woman is not a derogatory term to speak in this way. This is just a manner of addressing a female in these days. Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are all kind, or they're, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that when the Messiah called the Christ comes, 
He will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you am He. I want to make a couple of observations from this passage that we learn at this rest stop. And the first thing that I'd like to just say is that it's okay to need to rest. I think sometimes we, we think that, that, well, you know what, we've got to keep moving, we've got to keep going. In fact, some of you, some of you pour yourself out into the lives of others. Whether it be as a boss or whether you're a caregiver or maybe you have a special needs child or maybe you have a, an elderly parent or maybe you're in uh, one of the medical fields or maybe you're a teacher or maybe you're, you, you name it, whatever the area is, you may be pouring yourself out into the lives of others or maybe you've been on a gauntlet jaunt of just simply working six and a half, seven hours or uh, seven days a week and you just feel like you can't catch your breath. The fact is, it's okay to rest. I, I mentioned in this passage that this really seen two ways when it says that he had to go through Samaria because either Jesus was on a divine mission in which he felt it compelled by the Spirit of God to go through Samaria, or he was simply trying to shortcut his way home. You ever just want to get home? Tammy and I and, uh, and several of our staff as well as delegates were in Orlando this last week, which normally Orlando is a place you like to visit, just not in the middle of the summer. We've been in and out of 100-degree weather all week, and then we went to the airport first thing yesterday, and then we, we had to go through the, the TSA, and then yeah, if you travel, you know exactly. I mean, we were just so ready to get home yesterday evening. When I got home, I needed to mow the lawn because we're hoping to go and spend a couple of days up uh, at a lake this week, and so I needed to turn around and get that done last night, and it's just kind of like, wow, sometimes it's just tired, and can I just tell you, it's okay to be tired and we forget that Jesus played by the same rules that we play by Jesus was tempted scripture says just as we are tempted it was without sin but he was tempted Jesus got hungry and thirsty just like we get hungry and thirsty Jesus needed to get away sometimes do you any of you ever just need to get away from people sometimes Tammy was looking at the weather where we're going to be this week and she said, do you realize it is supposed to rain every day that we are up there? A good percentage of chance every single day. And I go, yeah, I, I like rain at the lake. It's okay. She says, I am really concerned that I'm going to want to kill you. She said, we love each other, but man, the kids are coming on Thursday. That gives us four days by ourselves. I'm going, yeah, buttercup. <laughs> no, even people you love, sometimes you just need to get away and, and you just need to get away from those places. And so I guess what I'm saying is it's okay to need rest. But number two, even when you're resting, don't forget, God may have a divine appointment for you yet. That when you're at rest, you're still on purpose. Notice in this passage, even though he says he had to go there, notice the interaction he has with this woman. He, he, he says to her, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, 
Jesus said, will you give me a drink? And, and what if, what if that was just an innocent question? You notice how, how Jesus is purposeful even when he is doing the everyday? I mean, he's just asking for a drink of water. And did you notice he says, would you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy some food. And the Samaritan woman had attitude. And she just simply said, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. And she is distinguishing. She's a Samaritan and she's a woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Notice how relationally Jesus begins to deal in this passage. Because this woman is a Samaritan and Jews don't associate with Samaritans. It goes back several hundred years before this particular time. It actually was after the Babylonian captivity. Those who were Jews came back to Jerusalem. They were going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Ezra and Nehemiah will tell you those stories. There were some individuals who were not exiled during the 70 years of captivity. And they were Jews who lived in the area, but they intermarried with other beliefs other ethnicities and so Samaritans were considered ethnically half-breeds they were considered partially Jew and it wasn't just their ethnicity it was their belief system because they they embraced Jacob they embraced some of Jewish beliefs but then they intermixed it with other beliefs and so Jews despised Samaritans and because they were despised Samaritans despised Jews that's why nobody walked through Samaria a typical Jew wouldn't want to sully himself by being in Samaria so they'd take the long way home Secondly, a rabbi would never be seen in public with a woman. It just wouldn't happen. Unless it might have been his wife, but you're not going to be in public with a, your wife and nobody would have been hanging out with an adulterer. This woman had five husbands prior to the man that she was living with and not only would rabbis and Jews not have hung out with a person like that, Samaritans wouldn't have hung out with a person like that. Do you notice how I put an emphasis that she says, um, give me this living water so that I don't have to keep coming back here? Jesus says, go call your husband and come back here. And I made sure you knew that the word here was in there twice. Because it struck me, I don't think she liked going there either. The well was the social hub of the community. It's where the women would gather to draw water for the household. And even Samaritan families didn't like home wreckers. And even Samaritan families had standards. I wonder how many sneers she caught I wonder how many little comments behind the scenes she heard you see I don't think she liked showing up there much either and Jesus was purposeful in his restfulness he was still relational with her but I want you to see that he's redemptive in the way he interacts. And, and if I could encourage you with this, is that when you're interacting with individuals who perhaps are a little messy, you can still be redemptive. Notice this interaction. 
She said, Sir, give me this water so that I don't have to keep coming back here. He told her, go call your husband and come back here. And she said, I have no husband, which is correct. But Jesus is calling her out on this because sometimes we can tell technically the truth, but we're really hiding what's really true. He says, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man that you're now with is not your husband, so what you've said is quite true. You may not feel like that's very redemptive. But I would suggest to you that Jesus is not trying to shame her. In fact, he never mentions the husband again. Look through the passage. He never confronts her adultery again. Sometimes I think we feel like, well, you've got to call their sin what it is, and you've got to identify the sin, you've got to call the sin. It's interesting, I was just thinking about this. Jesus, even with the adulterous woman in the town square, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the experts of the law, um, John chapter 8, bring her out, you notice that they identify and talk about her unfaithfulness. Jesus just simply says, go and sin no more. What Jesus is trying to do by identifying the sin is to reveal a thirst in her that she didn't realize she had. He was bringing her face to face with her thirst. It wouldn't be any different than if Jesus brought up our inconsistency with finances or our, our playing a little fast and loose with our taxes or playing fast and loose with our entertainment or whatever it is. It's just simply that when Jesus confronts and shines a spotlight on an area of our life, it's because he's trying to identify a thirst that you may not have even realized you had so that he can fill and satisfy that thirst. There's an old hymn of faith we used to sing, I'm not sure I'm going to remember all the words to it, but all my lifelong I had panted for a drink from some cool spring that I hoped would satisfy this burning that I felt within. Oh, hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longing. Through his blood I now am saved. It's okay to be tired. And when you're tired, don't miss out on the divine encounters that God would still have for you. The third thing I noticed from this passage is that when you're tired, when you feel like you just don't, aren't equipped to handle a situation, it becomes an opportunity for God's glory to be revealed in a situation. I, I love this. It's an opportunity to simply allow God's glory to be on display because as they work down through this passage and this, this whole thing, uh, he, Jesus declares, verse 21, believe me, woman, 
A time is coming when you will worship neither on this mountain or of Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation comes from the Jews. Skip down just a little bit further. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming and when He comes, He will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I who speak to you am He. Go just a little further. Just then His disciples returned and they were surprised to find that He had been speaking with a woman. Notice what it says a little further down in verse 29. The woman says this, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She went from attitude and angry to having an encounter with the Messiah to becoming an evangelist in her community, all within one interaction. Notice what it says. They came out of town and made their way toward Him. Jesus, operating by the Spirit of God and on reliance with His Father, is in an opportunity of ministry at a rest stop. Tired as He was from the journey, He began to interact with purpose and relationship and redemptively And we begin to see a heart transformation. We begin to see incredible prophetic words coming from Jesus. Now you're saying, Jesus always did that. He played by the same rules we did. Jesus still had to rely on His heavenly Father. He says nothing. I don't speak anything except what my heavenly Father tells me to say. So He's relying just as much so on the leading of God through this moment. And what we're watching is a divine transformation in a moment of weakness. Paul said it this way. He said, man, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And I guess what I would say to you this morning is that if you're tired, you don't have to be physically strong in order for you to be powerfully used by God. You don't have to be the most educated. You don't have to be the, you don't have to be the most uh, fit. You don't have to be the individual who has the, the best programs. Just simply as you rely on the Spirit of God, God will give you opportunities to display His glory in your life. When, uh, when I'm uh, uh, preaching oftentimes and coming uh, off the stage or when we have other individuals who come off the stage, I... Uh, I uh, we, we've tried to have a number of our staff that have spoken on occasion. And then if you were here on Father's Day, Pastor Dan was up here and his daughter was up here as well as his dad. And it was just a really neat three-generation ministry that took place on that Sunday morning. And I, I will just tell you that um, when you are done speaking sometimes, you feel like you have just missed it. Um, Throughout my years, I have learned that I can't trust my emotions when it comes to ministry. Um, in our first, now it's, it's a little better now because we have three services. So I always fear, feel like if I mess up on one of the services, I've still got two services to kind of make up for it. And, and if I did a clunker in the first hour, then maybe I can redeem the clunker. And some of you have heard my philosophy on that in the past. Um, I always assume everybody's do a clunker. And so if I'm not feeling quite ready on a Sunday morning, I just tell myself, relax, today might be your clunker. And if I get through the second service and it didn't feel too bad, then I go, huh, I think I'm going to save my clunker for next week. <laughs> and, uh, and that's kind of how I do it sometimes. But when I was first in ministry, sometimes I would come home from church so dis- discouraged, 
so defeated. We, 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 you, everybody up here who ministers, anyone who teaches a class, any of us who have any pouring out into anybody's life, all of us want to do the very best that we can. And when you feel like you haven't done the best that you can or you feel as though you didn't connect, you just feel terrible. And sometimes I'd go home after service and I'd just get in bed and just pull the covers over my, my head and I, I, was just, I just needed to read. And what I would often find out later that day when I would go back to church for the evening service is we'd be talking about it and some of my leaders would be there and they'd say, what are you talking about? That was incredible. And so I've learned don't trust your emotions because your emotions, your feelings, oftentimes will, will really play tricks with you. But when people are coming off the stage and they're speaking here, I will often go up to them and just lay a hand on them and pray over them and ask God to pour a double portion into them that they've poured out. Fourth thing I want to share with you today is that when you are obedient to the Lord, He has ways of replenishing your strength. Notice what happens when the disciples come back. It says, meanwhile, His disciples urged Him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you, do not, you know nothing about. And when his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That when you're obedient to what God is calling you to, God has a way of replenishing and giving you strength that you never realized that you could have. It's okay to be tired. When you're tired, don't stop looking for the divine appointments of what God wants to do in and through your life. When you feel the weakest, you'll often find it's the greatest opportunity for God's glory to be on display. And when you are obedient in the moment, God knows how to replenish your strength. So as we close today, i got a couple of questions. First question I would ask is, are you tired? Some of you have been pouring yourself out in situations that have just led to fatigue. It could be work. But I'm thinking about the one who perhaps has been pouring into caring for a spouse, or has been caring for a parent or a child in need or a classroom setting or a counseling setting and you're just tired. And can I just encourage you that the Lord knows how to pour into you, but it's okay to rest. And this morning you would just simply ask, Lord, would you just pour a double portion into me that I've been pouring out? And give me strength that I didn't realize I had. The second question I would ask you this morning is, who's at your rest stop? Who is it that the Lord is bringing into your pathway that perhaps you've been walking by and haven't really given it much thought. But the Lord is really putting them there for a divine encounter.
that can be redemptive into their life. Or maybe this morning, you're really thirsty. And as we were chatting about the Samaritan woman, and we mentioned that when the Holy Spirit begins to identify an area of your life, it isn't to shame you. It's to identify a thirst that only He can quench. When you saw that she had uh, five husbands and the man that she was with was not or even her husband. All right. Maybe you haven't had five spouses, but you've been jumping relationship to relationship. And once you get in that relationship that's going to be the, the epitome of your life, it just... Doesn't do it. Or private times at the computer screen. Or traveling on the road. Or a drug that was intended to help for a moment with a medical need has now become for you become for you the, the reason for living. Or the purchasing that you've made that seems to just bring a little joy for a moment, brings it only for a moment, and then it's on to the next thing because I need something to medicate my soul. Or fill in the blank. When the Holy Spirit shines a spotlight, it isn't because He's trying to shame you or because He hates you. It's because He's trying to help you see that you're thirstier than you think you are. And stuff's not going to satisfy that thirst. Only Jesus is. So he says, uh, if you knew the gift of God, this is a gift. It's not something you can earn or warrant. And he says, rather than giving you some kind of stagnant, putrid, blah drink he says I'm going to give you living water that just continues to feed you and replenish you and give you strength that you never realized I guess what I'm saying this morning is if you're thirsty Jesus says come to him and drink and so father this morning Maybe we just came and sat down by the well and had no idea of the 
spiritual encounter that we were going to have this morning, but I, I believe that you've been having all kinds of discussion. And for those who are tired, I pray, Father, that you would renew their strength. For those that are thirsty, Jesus, give us this living water so that we don't have to keep coming back over and over again. This area of my life which you've been shining a spotlight on, I'm realizing is an area that I've been looking to to satisfy. And in its proper place and in in its line with God's will, it can be a good thing, but it's I'm trying to I'm trying to feed and satisfy something that in a very unhealthy way. And so, Holy Spirit, I hear you and I ask your forgiveness, Lord. And I pray that you would fill me up as I reach out to you and do a work. We sang a song a little bit ago. It says, this is a house of miracles. Well, Lord, right now I'm asking you to do a miracle in my life. Make me into the man of God, the woman of God that you want me to be. Fill me with your presence and each moment of every day, Lord. I want to look to you to be my living water rather than trying to fill it with other stuff. And and Father, I pray that as I do that, that you would just give me strength upon strength upon strength as I follow your will and walk in obedience. Thank you, Lord. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. He's a great guy. Just stand with me. And uh, we have prayer partners. Love to pray with you about whatever's on your heart. As you are dismissed today, turn to each other and say, stay strong. God bless.